0: and welcome to episode number seven of CorpCast. Uh, This is our second installment of our Better Know a Judge series, and we are very honored to have uh, Judge Mary Johnston of the Delaware Superior Court with us today. Good afternoon, Judge Johnston.
1: Thank you, I'm very pleased to be speaking with you today.
0: Great. What we want you to do is just talk about you know some of your background and we have a bunch of questions for you but we really want to talk about things that you can't get on the internet or that people can't really you know find out uh, ordinarily of course we're not going to give away any state secrets here <laughs> but um we just want to try to get to know you a little better so kyle why don't you lead us off
2: great thanks pete thank you again judge johnson for being here uh, i just want to start off with a simple question what led you to delaware in the first place
1: Well, uh, I grew up on a farm in Indiana, and and as part of my uh, project to get off the farm, I went to law school at Washington and Lee University School of Law in Lexington, Virginia, where I met my husband, and he had grown up in Delaware. He was a third year when I was a first year. Um, By the time he graduated, we were engaged, and he uh, got a job with a firm in Delaware, so uh, I simply followed him here and was very fortunate uh, to get a job with Morris James Hitchens and Williams, as it was called at the time, as the second woman in the firm. Now Judge Barbara Kroll on the family court was the first woman, and, and so we were kind of pioneering at that point. That was 1984 when I joined the firm.
2: Excellent, and I know you recently spoke at a CLE called Path to the Judiciary. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal path and maybe how you're prior positions affect
1: your current role as judge? Yes, well, I was in the uh, corporate and commercial litigation division, uh, and so it wouldn't seem necessarily unnatural to go to Superior Court, but I did litigate in Superior Court as well as in the Court of Chancery. I had a sort of unusual career path in that uh, after I was already a partner with the firm, uh, my husband and I were we were both doing the same thing and I decided I needed to spend some more time with my two very young children so I was home with the kids for four years and then uh, at that point uh, Justice Walsh uh, asked me if I would come back part time and be uh, Deputy Counsel with the Office of Disciplinary Counsel which i was glad to accept because it was a part-time position at that point and then after two years they asked me to take over the office so that was an opportunity that i took advantage of and i was in that position for five years and then very tragically judge haley alford of the superior court died and that was of course very unexpected But. The way that anyone comes to the judiciary is that the sun, moon, and stars collide. It has to be the right party, the right time, you have the right experience, I mean, anything that you can imagine, attributes that they're looking for in the judiciary just sort of have to come together, and it was my time. So I was able to get this position, and it has has been a real privilege to serve on this court.
2: What motivated you to apply to the Superior Court? What attracted you about the position?
1: Well, I think almost anybody that litigates and is in court toys with the idea of going on the bench. It seems like a logical next step. And, of course, you know, who doesn't want to be the one calling the shots (laughs) uh, uh, as opposed to doing the work? And I have always enjoyed research and writing, and I really like things like the rules of evidence and following judicial precedent and looking into those things in detail. So that was really what motivated me. It seemed like a real logical next uh, step in my career.
0: Well, great. Um, now, obviously, in the Superior Court, you handle many types of cases, including criminal and civil. Um, but I want to talk to you about the Complex Commercial Litigation Division, or CCLD. Uh, can you tell us how the that... that came to be and the types of cases you hear there?
1: Well, I certainly will give you an outline, but I must refer anyone listening to this to the absolutely excellent article entitled, Delaware Courts Continue to Excel in Business Litigation with the Success of the Complex Commercial Litigation Division of the Superior Court. that's written by former Judge. Uh, Joe Slights, who's also with Morris James, and my former wonderful law clerk, uh, Beth Powers, who's also with Morris James. So that really gives you the everything you need to know. The Delaware Complex Commercial Litigation Division started in 2010. We followed a number of other business courts, uh, which started with New York in 1993, but, of course, the original business court is the Court of Chancery. Right. The issue with the Court of Chancery is that, of course, they only have equitable jurisdiction, not legal jurisdiction. There is the cleanup doctrine and so on. But, but the short story is we needed the same kind of a court to do the same kind of a things for cases with purely uh, legal jurisdiction that the Court of Chancery could not handle.
0: Great. And so in what ways does a CCLD case differ from an ordinary uh, case in Superior Court, is it like how is it treated or are there special rules?
1: Well, there are four judges currently assigned. Uh, I tend to think of one CCLD case as the equivalent of at least 50 other cases in terms of workload. That may be an underestimate. Uh, <laughs> they take up a great deal of time and there's a lot more writing, there's a lot more motion practice, the trials tend to be longer and more complicated, Uh, But the flip side to that is that we uniformly get top-notch lawyers, and both uh, Delaware and non-Delaware lawyers tend to be at the height of their uh, abilities, they're excellent advocates, so that is a real luxury. Um, We try to be very flexible with these cases. Some of them are expedited. Even the ones that are not expedited, we try to move along as quickly as possible. We suit individual case management orders to to uh, tailored to those cases, so that we try to get the trial date as quickly as possible, but allow time for discovery and dispositive and Dalbert motions. There are almost always dispositive motions and frequently um, Dalbert motions along with hearings on those motions.
0: Great, and so uh, can you compare and contrast how a CCLD case might be similar to a Court of Chancery case and how it's treated and how it progresses and things like that?
1: There are more similarities than differences. Uh, We try to model our case management plans after the Court of Chancery because that is a successful model and why reinvent the wheel? Um, We have initial case scheduling conferences, usually in person in chambers or with out-of-town counsel. They can be there by phone. Uh, so that we don't just simply send out a case scheduling order. Um, we, the court is available, as we are with all cases, for discovery disputes or any assistance that counsel need in resolving matters. We do not require that motions in these cases go on our routine motions calendars. We hear them as soon as possible, whenever it's convenient. We try not to rule from the bench unless it's an expedited ruling we try to write because we're trying to create a body of case law and precedent. The biggest difference between the Court of Chancery cases and the uh, CCLD cases, of course, is that there are jury trials. And that brings a whole different element into play that affects many aspects um, of the case. So that's that's why I would view the biggest difference.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. What has been your biggest challenge since you've been on the bench?
1: Well, um, trying to let go of my sort of OCD tendencies. Um, <laughs> our caseload is very large. Um, the judges have around 400 civil cases pending at any time. The CCLD judges, those the caseload is on top of that. Right. And we, of course, have criminal... Uh, cases. So, I have to let go of making every single opinion be absolutely perfect. I can only go through so many drafts. I cannot let what is the saying perfect is the enemy of oh, good. Oh, okay. yeah, I can't
0: let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right?
1: And and that has <laughs> to me that is the biggest challenge. Another challenge that we have in this court is that sometimes you get involved in lengthy trials which can be either civil or criminal and by definition a lot of other stuff goes in the back burner. So you may have several opinions to write in the queue. But if you're in trial for two or three weeks, there's only so much else that can get done. So that's the that's the biggest challenge that I face.
0: Yeah. It, it, has there been something that's easier than you thought it might be?
1: Well, a couple things. I've had some nice surprises. But I would say one of the things that's been a little easier than I thought it would be has been the result of all of my past experience, litigation and particularly with the ODC where we always had to make very hard decisions, um, is when, when you're a judge, you have to make a decision and f- let it go. You know, when you're especially in a jury trial, the evidentiary rulings, in a long trial you, you literally would make a 100 evidentiary rulings and you cannot second guess yourself that's not to say that you're not aware that some of your rulings in hindsight might you might have changed, but you have to just let it go. You have to make the ruling and move on, in the same way that litigants must accept the court's ruling, right, wrong, or indifferent, right. and move on, which is which is hard to do. I also do have to say that some of the things that have been really pleasant surprises have been. The court staff is phenomenal. Most of the people in the prothonotary work two jobs just to make ends meet. My assistant is wonderful. My law clerks have been great. We have these dedicated court staff. And the Delaware Bar is absolutely second to none in uh, professionalism and courtesy and respect for the judiciary, making our lives as easy as possible.
0: Yeah, I, I always tell young lawyers when they start out, Obviously, you have to be respectful of the judges (laughs) and treat them kindly, but... The court staff has to be even, high, <laughs> even higher because that they will get things done for you. They and they are absolutely fantastic. They
1: can, they can make you or break you. And I, I don't understand why anyone would be rude to my secretary. Do they think I won't hear about it?
0: I. <laughs> that's always been a mystery to me too. Yes, I've never. a under-
1: secretary too. Yes. You know, why would anyone? If you want to get anything done as a litigant, why would you be rude to your opponent's staff? Yeah. The gatekeepers. Yeah.
0: Is there a favorite kind of case or issue that you like to have a trial about or that you like to decide?
1: I like anything that is interesting and new. For example, I had a case recently that involved fracking. So that's right. getting natural gas. Uh, and there were some very colorful characters in that case. Mm-hmm. There were some people from. Uh, Oklahoma. Yeah,
0: that industry is very is very colorful. And
1: I loved hearing that case because even though it was really a contract dispute, which could could have been dry, the subject matter was new. The people involved were interesting. The lawyers were excellent. Um, so that's the kind of. Case I like. In fact, the first asbestos case, which is not a CCLD case, but the first asbestos case I tried, was fascinating. Learning the science of of that and hearing the expert witnesses. Now, having said that, the second asbestos case I tried was not nearly <laughs> as interesting. So anything anything that where I've, I'm learning a new uh, area of law of law or of fact.
0: Right. Well, that's interesting because uh, you know on our prior better better know a judge, Vice Chancellor Laster said almost the same thing anything interesting anything new anything that is he hasn't dealt with before is always very interesting to him
1: and you know the other thing about that that i've found is you can't tell by looking at a complaint you know you might look at it and say oh this case is going to be boring or this case is going to be really interesting you don't know anything until you get into it whether the case is going to be lively or or more routine
0: right great uh, now, before I turn this over to Kyle, is there any message that you want to get out there to the people who practice before you that maybe we haven't talked about or, you know, you just want to say something and make sure everybody knows?
1: Yes. Well, one thing is uh, to make it easier if you're practicing before any judge, but particularly the CCLT judges, do look at the judicial preferences for the individual judges which are available on our website. We try to be as uniform as possible. Um, but they do vary and they are helpful. Uh, Also, if in doubt, call my assistant um, and she will sort of help you through my judicial preferences. I also uh, am a big believer in the fact that professionalism and courtesy are are not just a practice, They, they are mandatory. However, I believe that the judge sets the example and the tone. If the judge is impatient or dismissive, how can the judge expect attorneys to behave respect of, respectfully and professionally? So, first of all, I believe the judge sets the tone. But if I do that, I do not, I'm not interested in hearing ad hominem attacks, I'm not interested in briefs that say things like, this is a frivolous argument, unless, of, tr- of course, it truly is but there had better be a smoking gun and I for example if you say in a brief it is at least curious that the record differs from what the argument in the brief is that says it all you do not have to say the other side is deliberately misrepresenting the record to the court or is a liar (laughs) you know you can make your point in that understated way and I I learned that lesson from people like Henry Herndon and Bruce Stargett when I watched them litigate understated, professional, even keel is always, always makes a better presentation. Great. Thank you. Kyle?
2: Well, Your Honor, as you remember, I once was a clerk in this Mm -hmm. court and I received excellent career advice, especially when I was deciding, you know, what to do after my clerkship from many of the judges here. I'm just curious what advice you give to your clerks who want to practice in Delaware.
1: Well, uh, do networking as you would anywhere, but in Delaware it's easier to do networking because we're a smaller group, you know, try to get involved in ends of court, get involved in sections in the Bar Association, get involved in the ABA. And once you sort of get your foot in the door, or even before then, find a mentor. I was very aggressive about that. Um, I didn't wait for someone to come to me and nobody told me to do this, I think I'm just kind of a little bit obnoxious to start out with. <laughs> but I would, when I started practice, it was in the go-go, early 80s, and one of the big cases that came to Morse James after I joined them was Revlon, which right. of course is a seminal case now, and the attorneys that were working, you know, it had come in, and I just, as a very new associate, went into, uh, at that time it was former Chancellor Grover Brown's office, was working on the case, and I said, essentially just like a yappy dog, I said, can I work on it? Ha, ha, ha. Can I, you know, (laughs) let me work on it. Here's what I'll do. I'll do anything. You don't even have to bill my time. And that developed into, with my corporate group within the firm, I, of course, started third chair. And gradually, by, by affirmatively saying, this case sounds really interesting. You know, what can I do to help you? Or better still, I saw that this motion is pending, can I do a draft of that motion? And the answer isn't always yes or cases are staffed differently, but I found that by being more assertive, it gave me more opportunities and it caused the people that I was asking to, to feel more comfortable mentoring and advising me because they knew I was not only receptive, I was essentially begging to be, to be right. brought into the, <laughs> into the group. Absolutely.
2: You know, And I think you might have touched on my last question briefly when you, know, you were speaking about even-keeled uh, practice. And uh, I just wanted to ask, when you're reading briefs, what advice do you have for those people who want to you know, be most effective and get their message across?
1: Well, the first thing is something that another Morris James partner, Ed McNally, told me. And I believe this to be true. Never miss an opportunity to be persuasive. When I see a conclusion that says, for the foregoing reasons rule in our favor, um, the only possible reason to put that in a brief is when you have absolutely run out of space and you have nothing else to do. <laughs> but frankly, that you should take space from someplace else. The conclusion should be a short, very succinct version of your argument. I should be able as a judge to turn to the conclusion not only know exactly what you want do you want the motion to be granted do you do you want the case to be dismissed but a very very brief summary the statute of limitations applies form 9 whatever it is you know put that never lose the opportunity to do that same thing i love introductions and briefs if it's appropriate um and outlines uh in fact really More is better if you are talking about different sections of the brief. That way it really shows an organized thinking and it helps to be persuasive. Less is more. Pick your arguments. You don't have to hit every single thing that is there. Reframe the question. If you're filing the answering brief, don't limit yourself to simply answering. Of course, you have to respond. But if you think that the person filing the the movement has simply framed the question in a way that is very uh, detrimental to your cause. Do the best you can to reframe uh, the questions. Thank you.
0: Oh, great. Well, Judge Johnson, this has been excellent. Uh, We can't thank you enough for joining us in uh, in our second installment of Better Know a Judge. Uh, So thank you very much. It's my honor and privilege. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So if you have questions, want to suggest a topic, or want to give us feedback, you can reach us at corpcast at You can also follow us on Twitter at DECorpcast, where we will put links to podcasts and information relevant to Delaware law. You can get more information on our firm's blog, DelawareBusinessLitigation.com, or be the first to know about content by subscribing to Corpcast through iTunes or any podcasting app. Thanks, and we hope to see you again soon.